Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. Thank you for joining us this morning. If this is your first time, uh, my name is Luke. Glad that you are here. Um, yeah, so if you guys have been with us, you know that we have been studying through the book of John, and that is my heart, is to go book by book, verse by verse through the scriptures. But if you haven't been with us yet, we have taken a couple weeks off, and last week we just spent some time to cast some vision for where we're going as a church in 2021. So if you missed that, you can go back to the website and cast or catch that and just kind of see where we believe God is leading us into 2021. This week, um, I know it's a heavy week for a lot of people. There's, there's chaos going on. Like we don't, it, it just seems like this country deeply needs revival. This country deeply needs the church to rise up so that a great awakening might happen. And if that does not happen, I believe that a firestorm of judgment is coming upon this land. Because we have run from God, we have ripped him out of schools, we have ripped him out of government, we have ripped him out of the church, we have ripped him out of everywhere. And so before this week, I had already planned on taking this week to our vision statement for the church is this, that God would choose to move through a surrendered people to bring revival to the Flathead Valley and beyond. So last week we talked about vision or our mission. This week we're going to talk about vision. If you have your Bibles, if you will open to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we're going to work through that this morning. If you don't know where 2 Chronicles is, go to 1 Chronicles and keep going. <laughs> right? It's an easy way to find it. There's Bibles under your seats if you need them. Uh, they are there for you. If you don't own a Bible, please take it. That is for you. We stand upon the Word of God in this church. And before we get going, I just want to pray because I believe that God wants to do something in this church this morning that would draw us to our knees in repentance before a holy God because this ushers in revival. So God, we give you this morning. God, we ask you to move in this place right now. God, I want to pray for this country, for this nation that was founded upon you, God, one nation under God. And God, we are asking you to move in and through this country, God. We are asking you that, that the church would rise up, God, that if your people who are called by your name would humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their sin, God, you will hear from heaven. You will forgive their sin and you will heal this land. So God, I'm asking you to do something this morning in this place that I cannot do. Holy Spirit, fall upon this place, fall upon this land. God, bring unity to this country, bring unity to the church. God, and would this be a morning that Veneration Church takes a stand and said, may revival start here. May revival start in this place with these people as we fall before a holy God in repentance, God. We are here. We are yours. We are asking you to move. So God, please filter my words. If there's anything that is not of you, that is of my flesh, would you please, God, by the power of your spirit, replace it? And God, my prayer this morning is that you would draw us to our knees in repentance so that you might bring 
revival. God, we love you. And that is why we are here. We pray in the power of the risen name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we are going to start in verse 11, and it says this. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord, in his own house, he successfully accomplished. If we know that Solomon, was, his father was King David, and David had this desire in his heart to build a temple for God, to build the house of God. And God said, David, you will not build it, but your son Solomon will. Verse 12, then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. What was Solomon's prayer? If you want some homework, go read chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles, but I want to highlight this in verse 24 of chapter 6. If your people, Solomon praying this, if your people Israel are defeated before the enemy, because why? Because they have sinned against you, and they turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave them and to their fathers. And then he says this, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people, Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given your people as an inheritance. So here is Solomon's prayer. And he's saying, when your people turn from you, God, because they will, when they turn, would you have compassion? Would you have mercy? Would you heal their land if they would return to you? This is the prayer that God is saying he is referencing to Solomon. And then he says this, verse 13, or verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon and said in the night, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, notice he says, when... And I want us to know this, for anyone that thinks that God would not bring judgment upon his people that have turned their back on him, merely have a humanist view of God. See, the reason that God will turn and, and bring judgment upon a people that turn their back on him is because he wants to draw them back. He wants to heal them. He wants to heal their land, but he will not let them run forever. He won't. To think that he would is just merely a humanist view of who God is. Verse 14, and then he says this. This is the first of three if-then statements. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and what? Heal their land. See, God is in the healing business God desires to heal that which is broken. Did you know that the, the labels in the, the English New Testament, like this, the, 
the title for this section is If My People Pray. Those were not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Those were placed there by man according to what they thought this was saying. And I think it's almost mislabeled because I think it's led us astray. Because in this country, we have a bunch of people that say, man, God, we're crying out to you. God, we're praying for revival. God, we're praying for a great awakening. God, why are you not moving? We are praying. We are on our knees. Well, the crux of this whole text is not just prayer. It's repentance. So I think more rightfully labeled should be, when my people turn from their sin, then I will heal their land. Then I will heal. That is what God is in the business of doing is healing. Verse 15, listen, this is powerful. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. See, God is attentively waiting for the prayers of a repentant people. He says it right here. His ears are open. He's waiting attentively for the prayers of a repentant people to turn from their sin, to return to God. Why? So that he might heal what is broken. Verse 16, for now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for what? All of time. And as for you, here's the second if then, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, doing according to all that I have commanded and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne and that I have covenanted with David, your father, saying, you shall, lack, you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. It's the second if then. See, as we're going to go forward, I want us to see this, that this offer from God is contingent. It's contingent on his people turning from their sin. Then he will do his part, and he will heal their land. See, either God is a liar, and we as a nation have turned from our sin, and he just hasn't, hung, he hasn't done his end of the deal, right? Or we as a people have not repented and turned from our sin, and I vote for the latter because God cannot lie. And he promises if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, will seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will what? Heal their land. But it's not just all about a church praying, God, bring revival. God, bring revival. As we're going to see in a little bit. It's about a people that are willing to bow their knee and say, God, woe is me. Start here. Then verse 19, but if you turn aside, another but, but if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve what other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from who? Their land? No, God's land, my land that they have given? No, that God has given them. And this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished, and they'll say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then God will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold of what other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster. 
See, it wasn't God's thing. It was his people that had turned their back, that had abandoned him. And I submit to you this morning that we have done the exact same thing. Not just in this country, but in this room. I have done the exact same thing. But in this country, people professing Christ are standing for the killing of innocent babies. We just elected a Georgia senator who is a pro-choice Baptist pastor. I submit to you, I do not know how you can be a pro-choice man of God because a man of God, a pastor, will stand for the sanctity of life. Because that is what the word of God says. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. We, the church, just elected him and put him in office. We profess Christ and say homosexual marriage is okay. We pray to dead gods in the halls of Congress. There's this big uprising about the idiocy of a man and a woman trying to be junior. But I'm not concerned about that. You know what I'm concerned about? The God that he is praying to. He may as well pray to this pulpit. I don't care about the amen and the a woman. He's praying to dead gods. The, from, the, from Congress, he is praying to dead gods, and we expect the blessing of God? Like, why doesn't he just bow down and say, oh, man, what a beautiful pulpit. Pulpit, would you bring, would you heal? Like, it's dead. And that's what we're doing in this country. We're serving money and comfort as gods. We have ripped God out of schools. We have ripped him out of homes. We have ripped him out of families, trying to redefine what the family is. We have softened the gospel in churches and bought into the lie that you aren't so bad. You're actually pretty great. It's a lie. We're not that great. That's the gospel. That in our depravity, in our sin, God chose to send his son to redeem us and set us free. And if we'll turn from our sin, he will what? Heal. He will heal our land. We have not fought for the covenant of marriage, and the list could go on and on. But all this to say, we have laid hold of other gods just like the nation of Israel, and we have worshipped and served them. And what's the result of a people who do this? God eventually himself will bring disaster upon a nation. Why? To draw them back. See, I believe a time is coming sooner than later in this country where persecution is coming to the church. It's coming. 501c3s are going to be ripped away if you won't marry someone who's of the same gender. How is the church going to respond? Are we going to bow and cave? Or are we going to say, we worship the king of kings? We worship the lord of lords. Hell cannot destroy the church of God. The question is, who is the church of God? It's time to rise up. It's time for revival. It's time for us to fall on our face and repent of our sin and beg God and watch God heal. Not only a land, but your heart. See, revival starts here. Why does God want us to return to him? Why will he judge a nation? Because he will not share his glory with another. He won't. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God does not share his glory, but he does promise to heal anyone who will turn from their sin and surrender. 
both the individual and the nation, but it starts with us. See, we're in desperate need of revival. And when the church is revived, a great awakening will come. See, the beauty of revival, this is revival when the people of God, when the church of God rise up and realize that we need to fall on our face before a righteous and a holy God, turn from our sin. May the church be revived to life. May the church rise up in power. May the church preach the gospel to whomever will hear. May the church go outside of these walls and reach the lost and the hurting. May the church be revived, and then a great awakening will come. But if the church doesn't get revived, we've lost all hope. We've lost it. And I submit to you, this country is ripe for revival. It's ripe. It's ripe for revival. And what is standing between judgment and revival? The heart of the people of God, according to God. God promises to bring revival and heal a land when his people will return to him. He promises it right here. If you do this, then I will do this. So where does revival begin? Right here. In case you haven't caught it yet, it wasn't by accident that I wanted the vision of this church to be that, that God would choose to move through a surrendered people to bring revival to the Flathead Valley and beyond. See, God wants to bring revival. Where does it start? Right here. Did you know that every major revival and great awakening started somewhere with someone? Every one of them started somewhere with someone with someone who picked up the word, read it, and believed it, who didn't adopt this convenient theory that the Bible was merely to be explained, but rather it was to be believed and not just believed, but obeyed. I want you to hear what Leonard Ravenhill said. He was a great revivalist preacher. He said this, One of these days, some simple soul will pick up the book of God, read it, and believe it. Then the rest of us will be embarrassed. We have adopted the convenient theory that the Bible is a book to be explained. Whereas the first and foremost, it is a book to be believed, and after that, to be obeyed. What happens when the people of God actually believe what is written in this book? Believe that Jesus came to set the captive free. Believe that he is able. Believe that he wants to do something that is so much greater and so much bigger than anything we can muster. But we just think that the Bible is merely something to be explained and a knowledge to be obtained. I submit to you it is not. It is a book to be believed and then obeyed. And God is saying, if you will humble yourselves and pray, if you will seek my face, and if you will turn from your sin and obey that, I will heal your land. I will heal your soul. I will do what only I can do. Why not that be us? Why not that be here? That we would be a bunch of people that would come before a holy and a righteous God and say, God, woe is me. God, I have wandered. God, I have, I have run from you. God, I turn from my sin and I turn. See, this is an amazing thought. Think of this. 
Well, man does not control nor manipulate revival or a great awakening. God is sovereign. God has revealed that which moves his hand to act. Think about it. Man doesn't control nor manipulate revival or a great awakening. But God has revealed what moves his hand to act. What is it? A repentant people. And in the church, repentance has become a bad word. Scary word, right? Man, I don't want to feel wrong. I feel dirty with repentance. Right? It's a good thing. Conviction is a beautiful thing. It draws us to a place where we can see God for who he is, where we can fall on our knees and worship him for who he is, and then watch as he heals a land. So where does it start? Right here. My prayer for veneration is that revival would start here, that it would start in this place with a group of people that say, you know what, I don't just want the word to be explained. I believe it, and I'm going to obey it, and I'm going to watch as God unleashes the power of revival over this place, the power of a great awakening that the world so desperately needs. And if we don't rise up now, we will not. Because when persecution comes, these chairs will be empty. When persecution comes, the lost will be looking for hope, and it will be nowhere to be found. See, if we would mobilize as the church, if we in this place would realize who God is and believe him on his word and trust him with our lives and go into this world as we talked about last week, some of the ways we're going to mobilize as a church to go reach these people who are without hope. That is why we exist. But that does not happen if we are not revived in this room. It's not about you, newsflash. It's not about me. It's about his glory and his name. So what moves his hand to act is a people who believe and obey that which he has revealed. I think I have a slide for this if you want to put it up. As I was looking at verse 14... I outlined two parallels in this verse. God says this, that if we will humble and pray, then what? Then he hears. If we humble and pray, God hears. If we seek his face, then what? God forgives. And if we turn from our sin, then what? He heals. I just want you to look at that and let that sink in. It's all within this one passage if you look at it. If you see the parallels, it's right there. So I submit to you that turning equals healing. Turning equals healing. Turning from our sin, turning from, from the things that just indwell us and we give our worship to and we give our lives to. If we will turn from that, God will heal. It's his promise, and God is not a liar. So if we will humble and pray, he hears from heaven. If we seek his face, he forgives his people. And if we turn from our sin, he heals his people and heals their land. But see, we don't get to write the script. It's not if we pray, God heals a land. That's not what he says. That's not what his word says. And we've missed it. And I really believe the tragedy is the reason our country is where it is right now is because the church has failed to rise up. 
The church has failed to preach the gospel. The church has failed to do the things that God has commanded the church to do, to rise up with strength, to rise up with power. I mean, look at what this virus has done to the church. I read a stat where only 20 to 25% of the churches in this country are open right now. If a virus can shut down the church, what happens when real persecution comes? See, the time is now. The time is now for us as a people not to look at all the other churches, but look inwardly and say, oh, God, what a wretched sinner I am. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Set me free. May I see you for who you are. Would I believe you for who you are? Would I obey you for what you have said? And God, revive me. And then watch as revival breaks forth. All we can control is us. And this is a promise. See, revival starts here. It starts with you and me humbling ourselves to pray, seeking his face, and turning from our sin. Think about this. Revival doesn't start with an army. It starts with a soldier, one who says, here am I, enlist me. Starts with someone who is broken for their own sin, broken for their own apathy, broken for their lack of passion for the things of God, broken over the distance they have wandered, broken over neither being hot nor cold. Ravenhill says this, though our merciful God will pardon our sins, purge our iniquity, and pity our ignorance, our lukewarm hearts are an abomination in his sight. We must be hot or cold, flaming or freezing, burning out or cast out, lack of heat and lack of love God hates. And Ravenhill didn't initiate that statement, Jesus did. Look at the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea. Jesus says to this lukewarm church that he will spit them out of his mouth. See, if the church would begin to rise up in the power of God and believe him for who he is and be hot for the gospel, no more of this lukewarm stuff. You know what lukewarm stuff has got us? Where this country is right now, with a country, with a people that have run from him. We need the church to rise up in the power of the gospel. We need the church to believe God for who he is and be hot for the things of God, not lukewarm. Someone once said, you want revival? Said, kneel down and draw a circle around yourself. Then look to heaven and pray expectantly, Lord God, send revival and begin it right here in this circle. And that's my prayer this morning, is that God would do something that I cannot. That the Holy Spirit of God would move in this place to draw his people to repentance. That the Holy Spirit of God would move in this place to convict us of our sin, to show us the greatness of a mighty Savior. That we in this room would draw a circle around ourselves and God say, God, start here. God, start here. Revive me first, God. Make me on fire for the gospel. Make me passionate for the things that you're passionate for, God. Make my heart bleed for the things that your heart bled for, God. Start here, God, and let him take care of the rest. See, revival will not come without humbling ourselves to pray. Revival will not come without seeking his face. And revival will not come without turning from our sin. All of this begins in the circle with you and me. You know what my prayer is this morning? That we would draw a circle around this room. 
And we would say, God, bring revival. And pray expectantly, saying, God, start it right here in this room. Because it needs to start somewhere. And it needs to start in some place. So why not here? And I promise you, if we will be a repentant people and do what God has commanded us to do, he will bring revival. Why? Because he promised it and he is not a liar. So may he do his thing. So what does it look like? That's the question. What does it look like to humble yourself and pray so that he might hear the prayers of his people? See, repentance cannot come without humility. Humility always precedes repentance. Caroline and I were dealing with some stuff last night, and sometimes, I mean, just in marriage, you guys know life can be difficult, and I had done some things that I just need to apologize for, and I'm laying in bed, and my thought was, man, this is very awkward, right? Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to say I'm sorry for this little thing. You lay there, and you fight it and fight it. The longer you fight it, the more awkward it becomes inside of you, and it's just like this inner turmoil, and you're like, I got to do it, but it's just weird. But I finally got over the weirdness and just apologized. See, God moves through repentant people. And if we refuse to fall to our knees, he will not move with the power that he desires to move. But it takes humility. It took humility on my part to get over myself and say, you know what? I don't care about my feelings. I don't care about what I feel this awkwardness. Humble yourselves. Go before your spouse. Go before your kids. Go before your friends. Apologize. Repent. And just say, I'm sorry. It takes humility. There's a reason that God said you must humble yourselves and pray. Because you can't come before God with a proud heart. He is God. You are not. You cannot come before God and ascribe to him glory and think that you're king. He is king. He is Lord. So if we're going to come before him, we must humble ourselves to pray, not come before him in a posture of a puffed-up chest, macho man. God, that despises him. He moves through humility. Sometimes we remember to pray, but we also leave humility at the door. We come before God only to ask as if he owes us something, right? As if the world revolves around us and not him, and we just leave humility and then say, all right, God, I'm coming to you, and I'm just going to word vomit everything that I want. That's not humility. Ravenhill says this also, Oh, my ministering brethren, much of our praying is but giving God advice. Our praying is discolored with ambition either for ourselves or for our denomination. Perish the thought, he says. Our goal must be God alone. It is his honor that is sullied, his blessed son who is ignored, his laws broken, his name profaned, his book forgotten, his house made a circus of social efforts. Does God ever need more patience with his people than when they are, and he puts in quotes, praying? We tell him what to do and how to do it. We pass judgments and make appreciations in our prayers. In short, we do everything except for pray. Oh, how God would move if we would get outside of ourselves, fall on our face in repentance, and seek his face. That's
That's how he moves with revival. So the second thing is, how do we seek his face? Well, when we seek his face, he forgives. We seek him for who he is, not for what we want him to be. We have a major problem with that in our country, right? We always seek God for what we want him to be. We, we rip the word out of context. We, we proof text all these things. We eisegesis this and that for the sake of some emotional high and driving the church and building a building and blah, 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 blah. We don't seek him for who he is. If we sought him for who he is, we'd look at this word and the context for which he written. Why? Because it reveals his heart. When his heart is revealed, we see him for who he is. Seek his face. If we as a church would seek his face for who he is and not for what we want him to be, God will bring revival. If we want revival, may we pray with the psalmist, Psalm 27, 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Will you seek him with me? Will you seek his face with me? Will you come before him with me and say, God, do your thing. You are God. I am not. And the third thing is this. Turn from your sin. If we will turn from our sin, he will heal our land. If you will turn from your sin, he will heal your heart. But healing does not come until something is broken. Once something is broken, it can then be healed. Turning from our sin breaks us, comes to a place where we're humble before him and say, God, I can't fix myself. I am broken. I am bruised. I have no hope. I have no peace, God. My marriage is falling apart, God. God, I'm out of money. God, I don't know what to do, God. My world is spiraling out of control. My kid is running from you as fast as he possibly can. God, I am broken, God. My son died in a car accident, and I have no explanation. God, my wife is suffering from cancer. I'm broken, and I have no explanation. But see, God cannot heal until something is broken. When we realize we are broken, then can he heal. It's the same in this nation. When we realize that we're broken in this nation, that we have run from a great God, that we have run from a mighty Savior, then he can heal. This is the promise of God. The promise of God is that he wants to heal. Will we come to him? So what does repentance mean? Well, if you're like me, repentance is often negated by making excuse for it, right? by using the oh-so-dreaded but word. That's a single T, by the way, not double T, so I don't get a bunch of emails this week. The single T but word, this dreaded word. There's many dreaded four-letter words, but this three-letter word is often more dreaded than any four-letter word. But, this but word, I'm really sorry, babe, for lashing out at you, but I had a very long day. I'm really sorry, son, for exploding in anger, but my boss really ticked me off today. Man, Mom, I'm sorry for lying to you, but that party really wasn't a big deal. I'm sorry for taking that money, but I needed it more than you. I'm sorry for responding in the way I did, but you should not have done that. Or the dreaded one. I'm so sorry for doing that again, but I can't help it. This is just how I am. 
Did you know that this but in repentance negates everything that you came to repent for? See, repentance, true repentance has no but. It looks more like this. I'm really sorry, babe, for lashing out at me. Will you forgive me? I'm really sorry, son, for exploding in anger. That was wrong of me. I won't do it again. Man, mom, I'm sorry for lying to you. That was not okay. I'm sorry for taking that money. I stole it, and I asked for your forgiveness. I'm sorry for responding in the way I did. I will work on that and try not to do it again. Or I'm sorry for doing that again. I am working on changing that in my life. That is repentance. But so often we put in this but and it negates everything that came before it. God is saying, if you will come before me, if you will turn from your sin without a but and just say, God, I'm broken, I am sorry, I give it to you. God, forgive me, a wretched sinner, set me free so that you might heal me. God will do that not only in your life, but in your marriage, in your sons, in your daughters, in your work, in your hobbies, everything. If we will not negate it, by this dreaded but. True repentance means a turning from sin, and we're not apologizing for that or making excuses for it. When we will come to him as broken, he will heal. See, true repentance involves acknowledging one's sin and turning from it, not making an excuse for it. That's repentance, and that's what this country deeply needs. And I believe it'll happen if a bunch of people in this room will draw a circle around themselves and say, God, oh, God, bring revival. Oh, God, I'm praying expectantly for revival, and may it start here. Because I've said it before and I'll say it again. I really have no desire to pastor a lukewarm church. I really have no desire to pastor a church where we just fill these walls and sit in these seats for the sake of obtaining some biblical knowledge or to make ourselves feel better about how much we know about God and leave this place not believing in God or obeying what he has said. I have no interest in it. In fact, I've prayed that if that's what this is going to be, that God would shut it down. Because trust me, there's a lot of things I would rather do than pastor a lukewarm, unrepentant, broken church that is just willing to stay there. You know the reason I preach the word? Because the word has the power to change. You know the reason I preach the text? Because the Holy Spirit of God uses that to draw us to repentance to bring us to him, to show us who he is. And I'm believing God for revival. So I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me, I will draw a circle around myself and pray for God to revive me. And I'm asking you to join. Every great revival and great awakening starts somewhere with someone. Why not it be here? Why not? See, our country needs revival. <clears throat> it needs a great awakening. 
You know when great awakening happens? When the church is revived. When we're broken for our sin and we're broken for those who do not have life. Oh, how I desire to get outside these walls and reach a hurting world with the gospel. I can't do it alone. We need each other. Would we be revived in this place? Would we turn from our sin? Would we believe God on his promise that if we will humble ourselves and pray, if we will seek his face and his face alone, then he will hear from heaven and he will heal a land. And it starts right here. In this room, right here, may revival begin. May hearts be set ablaze with the fire of the gospel. May the joy of your salvation be restored. Maybe this week you just get on your face and you get on your knees and you say, oh, God, would you please, God, show me who you are again. God, I am lukewarm. God, I I have just wandered. God, I have done all these things for your name, but I have not done them in you. I have not done them in your strength. God, just restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, show me what it is to fall in love with you again. God, show me what it is. Show me your goodness. Show me your grace. Show me who you are, God. And watch is all of a sudden your heart begins to burn again. And all of a sudden the gospel excites you. And all of a sudden you realize, man, if it were not for Jesus, I would be dead. But because he came, I, am, I was blind, but now I see. This is where revival begins. And may it start here. Because if it doesn't, please hand me my resignation papers. We need it. This country needs it. And God promises to do it for a people that will repent. See, if we will turn from our sin, God will heal. This is the beauty of the gospel. If you're in this place and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, please hear this. God sent his son because we were damned to be separated from him forever. Jesus came to an already condemned world because he knew that we needed life. He knew that we had no hope, we had no life, we had no purpose without him. God sent his son to die, Jesus. He lived a sinless, a perfect life. He hung on a cross, was beaten and bruised for you. He was crucified, completely dead, but on the third day, he walked out of the grave, rising from the grave to give you life. And this is Jesus' offer to you. If you will turn from your sin, if you will believe me for who I am, if you believe that I am who I said I am, and you say, God, please take my sin, I turn from that, and I turn to you, he will heal your heart, he will heal your soul, he will give you hope, he will give you purpose, he will give you peace. This is is revival when a dead heart is given life and when a dead heart is given life look out world because we're storming the gates of hell with the power in jesus name so if you don't know jesus this morning if you have never surrendered your life to him please know this all you have to do there's no magic there's no magic prayer there's no magic words it's literally god i believe you to be who you said you are I'm a sinner, and I'm broken, and I need a Savior. God, I turn from my sin. I turn to you, 
and I believe you for who you are. And then through this process, he not only becomes your Savior, but your Lord. And when he's your Lord, you will obey. When he's your Lord, revival will come. And we as a people will fall on our knees and say, oh God, use such a sinner like me. As we get ready to close, I want to read this out of the book of Joel, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can look at there, or you can just close your eyes and listen. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is a gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Sounds very similar to Second Chronicles, the exact same word. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then, then. The Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. This is the gospel, and this is how God will bring revival. God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you that you are faithful. God, and I'm asking you this morning that you would bring revival to this place. God, I'm asking that you would revive those hearts that are dead. My heart, God. I so often run from you. I so often turn from you. I so often do all these things for you, God. But I refuse to just rest in you and abide in you. God, my prayer for this morning in this place is there would be a bunch of people in this room that draw a circle around themselves. God, that I would draw a circle around myself right here and say, God, oh God, bring revival and pray expectantly and saying, God, bring revival, but start it right here. God, do a work in this place this morning. God, do a work that only you can do. Graciously and mercifully, God, draw your people to repentance. That we would be a people that say, we don't want to just know about you, God. We want to believe in you. We want to obey you. We want to rest and trust in you. So God, would you do something in this place right now? Would you begin to move, Holy Spirit? 
Would you begin to break us for our sin? Would you begin to show us the goodness of a great God that in your mercy you have chosen to set your people free and this is the greatest news the world has ever heard? Oh, how beautiful the gospel is that you have called your people to come and just say, I was blind, but now I see. I was deaf, but now I hear. Oh God, we pray and we plead for this land. We pray and we plead for this nation, God. Would the church around this country rise up? Would the church around this country fall to her knees in repentance and turn to you, God? Would they seek your face so that you might heal this land? Oh God, we need you in this place. God, we need you to heal this country. We need to heal this broken land, God. We need you to heal the hearts that are broken, God. We need you to set the church on fire, that we would be hot for the gospel, that we would be hot for who you are, that we would be hot for Jesus. And watch as you sweep across this land with a revival that cannot be stopped by the gates of hell. So God, rise up your church. May we mature. And would you break our hearts for what breaks yours so that we might leave these walls and go and preach the gospel. Do a work in this place, God, that only you can do. Revive this church, revive me, so that you and you alone would receive the glory. And we pray it in the powerful, risen name of your son, Jesus. Jesus.